Craft Beer Radio presents the 2012 Saver Salons. For the fifth year, we recorded the salons at Saver. This year, there were 18 in all, six educational salons and 12 private tasting salons. You can find all the Saver podcasts, including ones from the past five years, all on our website at craftbeerradio.com. It's the craftbeer.com taste-off challenge featuring Jeff Hancock, the president and head brewer at DC Vrow, Mike McManus, lead brewer at Brewery Armagang, and Chuck Silva, the brewmaster at Green Fresh Brewing Company, all going up against the craftbeer.com taste-off 2011 champ Matt Bean from Men's Health Magazine, all hosted for you by Julia Hertz from the Brewers Association. Is everyone ready for... A, did everyone save some room for a little bit more beer, I hope? All right. Well, I'm Tom McCormick. I'm with the California Craft Brewers Association. Anyone here from California? Nice to meet you. Yeah, I know this guy. Good. All right. Well, I'm here on behalf of the Brewers Association, and the Brewers Association is the national trade association representing all the independently owned craft brewers across the country, over 2,000 of them. <laughs> And the Brewers Association puts on this great event, Saver, every year, and the salons, of course. They also put on a uh, little beer festival that maybe some of you have heard about in Denver every year called the Great American Beer Festival. Anybody been to that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. It's the biggest ticketed beer festival in the country every fall time, October 11th and 13th this year. You can find out more about that and everything craft beer at craftbeer.com. That's the website by the Brewers Association, and it's a great resource for everything about craft beer. Tonight's salon is taped, and that will be available to listen to online at craftbeerradio.com. And all the salons tonight, including the smaller rooms upstairs and from last night, are all being taped and will be available for you to listen to at craftbeerradio.com. I'm going to turn it over to Julia Hertz, which, who is with the Brewers Association, and I guarantee that she will keep you awake for the next hour. <laughs> Julia. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. Welcome to the last salon of the evening. You guys have taken a precious hour out of your savor, and I totally hope that you walk away pleased with that. You are doing an important job this evening. Um, let's make them wish out there that they were in here. Ready? One, two, three. I like this group. Well done. So we are here in the halls of Washington, D.C., um, enjoying ourselves immensely. Uh, everybody's on their own beer and food pairing journey. That's what Savor is all about, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, we've done this now, this uh, taste-off salon, uh, nine times. We have past winners, such as, or past participants, such as Peter Buchart from New Belgium Brewing Company, Will Myers from Cambridge, who did a um, private tasting earlier, Stephen Powells of Boulevard has won this competition twice. Um, and on the far left, Matt Bean from Men's Health has won this competition once. So he's the one that my guys here are gunning for. Um, and what we've got uh, is uh, the winner of this competition, the taste-off competition by craftbeer.com, is going to go home with this mash paddle. 
which uh, is the coveted it's a uh, tiny mash paddle. Whatever. Can't use that at the brewery. Ungrace, ungracious winner from last year. Okay. It, it, fit, it fits my brewing, but not these guys. Oh, it's on. I can tell they're just, you guys feed into it. It's great. It's great. So let's get a sense of who's in the room because you all are being asked to be our judges this evening in this pairing competition, right? So um, uh, how many homebrewers are in the room? I'm more beer geeks, very educated, um, taking beer to the next level, to the home level. Love it. I applaud you guys. Um, how many wine lovers that really weren't into craft beer before this? Now raise your hand if you're a wine lover and still into craft beer. Now cross your hands if you guys are into distilled spirits or margaritas or whatever. And now, this, now we have now continued to out thousands of people a year of the closet to be proud cross drinkers, and I love you guys. We're, we're right there with you. And raise your hand if you're a foodie, you know, into food, right on. So you guys are the perfect group to do what we're asking you to do in this next 45 minutes. Now, um, continue to be loud if you choose to do so. Has craft beer reclaimed beer's place at the dinner table? I mean, come on, has it? That's right, and that's what's going on here is a little proof of that. And what you're gonna have this evening is four very different approaches to one food that's in front of you. So we're gonna ask that you do not eat what's in front of you right now. And we have a special treat because what's in front of you is the rhubarb crisp. And the gentleman that constructed this recipe, Chef Adam Douillet, who is also responsible for all the pairings and coordination between the brewers and the caterer with us, is in the room. And I have asked Chef Adam, who's standing back there, come on up, Chef Adam, and explain to us what is in front of our judges to taste. I will insist on that. Is that what it feels like when you're on The Price is Right? <laughs> Um, well, first off, cheers to everybody for coming out. Uh, just a little bit about this dish and, and what these four had in front of them to select with. Um, the rhubarb crisp was actually something that was uh, partnered with also a uh, local farm. Uh, the rhubarb is local to within 25 miles of Washington, D.C., uh, and was picked at its point, peak point of ripeness uh, in order to kind of eke out some uh, flavors. I'm not going to kind of tell you what those flavors are. I think more towards the stone fruit area and things like that. One of the most important things to remember in all of this when these four panelists up here are talking and trying to sway you for what their vote is, <clears throat> which they will all do a fine job of, kind of, is to keep your individual pairing for yourself. While they're going to tell you what they tasted and what, what they saw in it, see what you discover, see what you find, see what you taste. Uh, there's a lot of different components that go into these tiny small bites uh, accented by uh, some honey that's been flavored with some lavender as well to give it kind of more of an aroma. So my advice for you on this is to, as you would sniff the, uh, or smell the beer and get the aroma of that, use the honey and the lavender that's in that for a little bit of aroma, use the rhubarb for some sweetness on your palate, and use the uh, flour and uh, oat components in there to match off of malt and wheat in any of the beers that you may be trying. Uh, hope that helps in a little bit of guidance for that. Uh, best of luck to the four of you. And uh, cheers to all of you. Okay, so we're still getting set up. Our contenders need the rhubarb crisp up here, and we won't start until that. We asked the um, uh, wonderful folks that are helping us serve in the room tonight to serve just one beer quick after the other. So we're going to get to the beer tasting in just a moment. You know, do you have something, Tom? Yeah, you should mention the pistachios if anyone has any. 
Oh, and there's a pistachio crust on the rhubarb crisp. So if there is a nut allergy, you're going to want to um, be a judge and just consider what is your favorite uh, beer of the evening. But it is truly about the pairing if you are not allergic to pistachios. Um, the first year we did, uh, what did we do first year? Chocolate. Second year, the contenders had to pair to cheese and chocolate. Uh, third year we did this at Savor, they had to pair to Devils on Horseback, another creation by uh, Chef Adam. And that's when um, Matt won. It was a crazy, great bacon bacon wrapped date with cheese inside. It was, it was decadent. Um, but this rhubarb crisp, which is being served outside tonight, I think is doing great with some of the pairings. Um, had it with uh, just really good couple beers. And so it's a very diverse, uh, diverse food to pair to. So are you guys ready to meet our contenders? Yes. yes? All right, without any further ado, AV Man, cue the music, please. Dramatic moment. <laughs> now I feel it happening. Okay, on your far left is people in DC are like, we're DC, we're not Philly, what are you doing to us? But every year it just gets us fired up for this. Okay, so we're gonna continue with a little more service and then dive in. Um, I want them to, to warm up to you guys and let you get to know them a little bit. So I'm gonna ask them each two questions um, and then we will be ready to have them state their case and they're gonna taste each of the pairings with you. They each get five minutes to present with you once we get everything fully served. So I will start with Jeff and the following quick, easy question just to have you guys uh, share a little bit and try and you know, answer in a minute, minute or less, uh, or maybe two minutes max. Why do you love craft beer? It tastes good in my stomach. <laughs> no. Um, no, it's just, uh, it's really diverse. I mean, it's like, you know, for a long time it was, you know, it was kind of a wine game and beer didn't get the proper, uh, craft beer didn't get the proper respect uh, it kind of deserved. Um, so I'm nice to see it kind of on that level playing field and you know me personally I think it's uh, a lot more versatile don't want to offend any wine people out there but uh, you know you can uh, beer always goes good with food uh, you need something to wash it down uh, so why not beer right on <laughs> can hand the microphone to Jeff I mean to Chuck Jeff. I can give over the mic so why do I love craft beer um, I love it for its diversity I love it that it's an, an everyday kind of beverage, an every meal kind of beverage. I love that there's so much richness and, and range of flavor, and I, I just, I love it every day, so. And Green Flash is out of San Diego, just so you guys know, in case you were not aware, location. All right, Scott? All right, uh, the reason why I love craft beer is I was a home brewer for a while, and uh, I had fun drinking a lot of the beers. And I got older and I realized that a lot of these beers go well with food. Uh, my parents are a lot of, they're big wine drinkers, uh, but 
I wanted to bring them into the craft beer world, so I started making beer, and they started drinking beer, and here I am now, right up in front of you guys. <laughs> Smiling wide. What a smile, huh? Right on. I'm into craft beer for a number of reasons, but I think foremost is something for, uh, it's, a, it's a method of communication for everybody from my dad to guys like my fellow panelists here. I mean, we've never hung out before, but we've all had conversations about the beers that we've been experiencing, not the beers that we're gonna experience tonight. Um, but it's sort of a medium to communicate what you're interested in and, um, and find new things that are, you're really excited about because after, you know, after you've lived a while, you need something new to be excited about, and a lot of times it's beer. Right on. And you guys, by the way, are strategically being served blinds. You might notice, similar to any judging situation, you're not aware of what the beers are being presented to you, nor are the contenders. We had a probably 45-minute prep phone call for this salon. We also had some smack talk back and forth in email and Twitter. And none of them have revealed to each other what they have chosen to pair this evening. So they are as well in the dark. Um, so you truly are being pitted as judges in that you're asked to be, you know, um, express, expressing via vote what you feel was the best, not by uh, preconceived notion of the brand. So with that, um, Jeff, give us some quick fundamental beer and food pairing principles that you used in applying, you know, what you, what you were going to help, help pick the beer for this pairing. Um, well, I uh, was kind of looking at it, you know, from uh, what Chef talked about earlier as far as the grains in it, the crisp, uh, you know, the pistachios. Um, and I figured I wanted to, uh, you know, I mean, because a lot of people do kind of like a darker or like a darker beer pairing with steak and rich foods and, you know, like big IPAs with, uh, say, like spicy food to kind of cut that. Um, so I was kind of going for more of a compl complimentary uh, tasting, less contrast. And uh, so that was, that was kind of what I employed when I, uh, you know, made my choice for the pairing, so. All right, Chuck. Just some basic principles, too, of like, what is, what works when you pair, you know, kind of to set the tone a little. Sure, some of the key techniques for me is when I pair a dinner, for instance, or a multi-course pairing, I always, um, prefer a progression of the beer as well. So it, the beer progression needs to make sense as well. So it's not just the you know components of the food and the beer in a single dish, but throughout the meal. For a, for a single pairing, um, I'll, often I'll do a complimentary uh, pairing, but also something that's cleansing or and or even uh, contrasting. So the three C's, cleanse, contrast, um, and uh, complement, those are classic techniques that anybody can use to, to help figure out a pairing. Um, I, like, I like how you say cleanse. Cut is also used with carbonation and kind of scrubbing your tongue. Exactly. But I like that term, cleanse. Um, so then also, even beyond that, um, I like working with a when you have the opportunity either to cook the dish or work with a chef, um, that you get more flavor components in there that create more bridges to the different uh, components that are in a beer to make connections to the food. Right on. Okay, Scott. All right. Well, I, uh, the reason I like uh, complimentary beers to go with the dishes, because uh, I like to make, like you had a nice dessert, but you want to have some beer that goes with it, and it'll actually make that dessert 10 times better. So that's what I'm all about. I love, I love that. I like the contrast and cleansing note, but definitely uh, complimenting is the biggest thing with me. So hopefully we'll do well. Right on. Yeah. 
I mean, I took a flyer because I'm up here with three of the brewers that I really, really look up to, and uh, I'm the guy that doesn't brew. So I got to throw something out there for you guys. After three hours or so of tasting amazing beers, what's going to stick out on your palate? What, it, what is really going to punctuate all of those amazing brews and um, complement this amazing dish that Adam made tonight? So for me, it was a challenge. It was how do you come up with something that both complements and contrasts what you have? How do you um, wash away this sort of um, delicious honey and pistachio and crumbled rhubarb deliciousness, um, but also show through as a beer, not just be a palate cleanser, but um, hold its own. So it was a challenge. We'll see um, what you guys think. Right on. So does, has everybody been served? Okay. Um, so again, we ask you to be judges. My goal when I um, test something for pairing is, is, the, is the, um, the whole better than the sum of the parts. Did the, the parts themselves elevate together to bring something to a better place? That's a simple goal. Also, did uh, the food or the beer barrel over the other? That's one that I, I try to uh, avoid or would um, adjust if that's happening. So it's just some general good concepts to keep in mind. Okay, so each one of them, starting with Jeff, is going to get five minutes to taste these beers with you. Um, they've also been asked to continue to the anonymity of the um, brand and not reveal that to you, but similar in a judging situation, and we're kind of giving you a small snapshot on what we would do at the World Beer Cup or Great American Beer Festival, you're going to be presented as a judge and know the style that you're sitting at that table. So they can reveal that style to you. They also, by the way, were given the opportunity, and many times in the nine times of this taste-off salon from craftbeer.com, brewers have chosen other beers, not their own. Plus, Matt, you have no idea which brewery he's choosing from. So. You don't really want to drink my beer. <laughs> but so don't assume that uh, you know, the beers that they're presenting to you are, are specifically from their brewery. So with that, Jeff, five yes. minutes. Please take the audience. Use, use as much of that five minutes as you deem fit. But please take us through your pairing. All right. Well, first, I'd like to say a big cheers for everyone that attended the event. Um, it's events like this to kind of help you know, spread uh, Spread the word of craft beer to people that might not be uh, turned on to it yet. So and I just want to start that out. I want to make sure that the first beer's on the left. Is that okay. correct, service team? Correct. Thank you, Andy. Okay. First beer's on the left. So, so Jeff's beer is your left, far left. All right. So I guess uh, I'll kind of approach it uh, by tasting a little bit of the beer first, and then the food separately, and then both uh, combined. Um, give, it, give, it, give it a good swish. Um, so yeah, this has got a nice kind of kind of bready. I'm picking up a little a little clove note there. Uh, it's got a good kind of kind of biscuit character. Um, don't know what kind of yeast it is. Not gonna guess. Not gonna try and influence in any way. I guess we'll try a little bit of the rhubarb crisp. That's delicious, by the way. <laughs> um, I really like the way the honey kind of plays off it. Uh, it's definitely. It agrees with my palate in many ways. I definitely like kind of the savory, uh, the sweeter side of it. Um, so I guess I'll combine it. Yeah, so it's pretty good. With choice one, I mean, it kind of, uh, the combination natural, naturally kind of carries the honey. Um, I like the way the, uh, the grains kind of play off one another, the flowery components. Um, I think it tastes pretty good. Let's go to number two. <laughs> oh, 
No number two. Oh, just one, one, one? I see. No number two. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Sorry, I was unclear on that format. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's a it's a really good pairing. I definitely like uh, like I said, the yeasty notes uh, kind of play well with it. Um, what are some of you guys tasting out there? Yeah, I didn't pick up a lot of uh, a lot of hops in the first beer either. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, if you got one more over here, comment. Oh. Yeah. Okay, that's a good observation. Yeah, I didn't quite pick that up. Well. Yeah, I, I agree, I agree. <laughs> and then, Jeff, you also will get another minute to speak after everybody has given their five minutes to taste. So there will be other, another chance as well. Okay, that's good. Um, those are pretty much all the notes I have, uh, have for this first one. So I guess without further ado, I'll pass it along. Okay, thanks for warming us up. Thanks, Jeff. All right, so moving on. I uh, went more with the process of elimination as an approach to pairing this beer. So I made the rhubarb crisp at home, which, why wouldn't you? Because... <laughs> Absolutely, uh, yeah, you, you, it's something you need to do. This this is actually is much better than than mine, <laughs> and uh, I have to admit, but uh, I, I did okay. But uh, um, and then I actually had a lot more rhubarb content in in my dish as well, which actually you know kind of changes things on the table a little bit for me. But um, some of the key things that I came away with is to avoid um, to avoid uh, sourness actually with the rhubarb being. Um, um, bittersweet or uh, sweet tart. So I, I tried some some sour beer with it, and and uh, and I thought it amplified the sourness. So then I tried some hoppy beer with it, and then actually the the, the tannin of the rhubarb made made the hop character just like overwhelming. And then I tried a, a very dry beer with it, and with all the sweetness that's in the rhubarb crisp and with the honey, um, that it was just too much of a stark contrast. So some of the, the things I looked for were something that would hold up to it, a beer that would hold up for it in, in body, um, which, you know, and is in a luscious texture. So I almost took a more textural approach to the pairing and then have a good malt base. So the beer that I chose has some fruity esters. It has a luscious texture um, and, and body, and it holds up to the dish as a whole through the you know, nice um, crisp flavor, the honey flavors, and even the rhubarb sweet tart characteristics. Because it it's sweetened, there's brown sugar in here, there's sugar in here, and then the rhubarb itself is very tart. So that's my approach for this pair. 
Chuck, yay. <laughs> okay. That, that's all I have to add for, so again, the textual. Sorry, I'm eating rhubarb. <laughs> Gonna wash it down real quick. It's a good beer, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty tough to uh, come up with a beer that I wanted to do with this dish. Um, I work late nights at the brewery, so I pulled out seven, seven bottles of beer for my roommates and I to try, and we had a little tasting. Just like Chuck, uh, made the same rhubarb crisp at home. Tried a bunch of beers, and uh, I figured this one right here is probably the best one to go with it. Um, the rhubarb itself, uh, I've been a huge fan of rhubarb ever since I was a little kid. And uh, like he's saying, it's a little tart. It's got a little tartness to it. Um, the reason I picked this beer is it has a little bit of uh, a raspberry note to it to add a little fruitiness to go with that sugar, as well as the honey, which is really nice. Um, and as a matter of fact, this beer is one year old today. It was actually packaged one year ago today. Um, it's got a nice little, like if you smell it, it's got a little fruitiness because this was actually uh, a beer that was completely fermented with uh, Britannomyces. So that's why you get a little funky note out of there. There's only one, uh, we had a spice edition in there, which was Grains of Paradise to give a little spicy note. But there's also raspberry and pear puree in this beer. Um, and it goes really well with this dish. So if you want, try a little bit of the beer. Try a little of the, uh, the rhubarb crisp. And uh, I think the sugary, the sugary note kind of goes well with the, the tartness that you get from this beer as well as the fruitiness. So you can let the beer speak for itself. <laughs> oh, oh yes. Uh, Britannomyces is a, uh, it's a wild yeast strain. Um, they used to use it a lot in Belgium, and uh, it would it would create a beer, it would make a beer sour, or it'd make it tart. Um, a lot of people say it has a little bit of a barnyard characteristic to it. I know that's really not what you want to talk about while you're while you're eating rhubarb crisp, but um, yeah, it's a wild yeast strain. It's uh, very hard to use, or actually, it's pretty easy to use, but it's hard to control. Um, it can get out of control. And make this make a beer uh, too too sour, too tart, or too funky. Um, but we we actually let this beer sit in our fermenter for about four months. So I think it uh, I think it turned out really well. And um, hopefully you guys enjoy this beer and this pairing. So. So I, I take this opportunity really to, um, to highlight breweries that I've had the good fortune to visit with in, um, in times of, of great triumph. And um, the brewery that you'll see in this fourth glass here um, really took a flyer. I mean, there was a moment back in um, 1976 when American wines surpassed in a blind tasting French wines, and that's considered a, one of the many high water marks. And I would hesitate to assume, but I'd, I'd imagine many of you really put Cantillon up there as um, something to aim for, um, because not only are they doing wild, but they're doing spontaneous, which is a, a technique of fermentation where you, you, you open the doors, you don't lock them down. You just say whatever is ambient, whatever is floating around in the air, Pediococcus, Whatever, whatever is native to this um, earth is going to ferment in this beer. 
And this is, this is a brewery that's one of only one or two places that is trying this technique. They spent 50 grand making something called a cool ship, which is essentially um, a large basin into which you pour the fermentable product. There are louvers, fans that just encourage the local air to come in and ferment it. And they didn't really know what they were going to get. For three years, they didn't know what they were going to get. And then they put in some cherries. So if you taste it, you'll taste some of the cherries that go through there. There's some sour. Mm. There's some sour that cuts through. The reason I like it be is because it's earthy. And when you have something like rhubarb, and when you have the sort of fatty pistachio finish on this dish, um, this earthy, sort of wild, spontaneous fermented beer um, pairs well with it. Not only does um, the fruit note complement well, I think, the, um, the tart itself, but it cuts through it in a way that asserts itself. So it's not just going to cleanse your palate, as I mentioned before, but it's going to complement it. Um, and I think this is a rallying cry for American brewers. We've all known that we can do hops better than anybody else. All the folks on the panel here are able to do that. Um, at Amagang, we've been able to do doubles and triples in the Belgian styles for years. But I think people have been wondering, what, what is the American, what do our winds have in them? What do our yeasts and, and, and microorganisms have to offer? Because a lot of people said for the longest time that it was just special. It was particular to one part of Belgium. Well, this beer is, to me, a validation of the American winds, American air, whatever it is that contributes to um, the microorganisms that, um, that make beer. So for me, this is something that not only complements uh, the dish, but also represents a trend in American brewing, and I hope you guys like it. What Matt, yeah, it was great. I call what Matt's referring to immaculate fermentation. And uh, it's I was going to say that. It's, you can use that title. We have a whole piece on it on craftbeer.com, but um, I think it's a good distinction just education-wise. You're hearing the term wild thrown around. You're hearing the term sour thrown around. And the bottom line is, is established in the Oxford Companion um, for Brewing, written by Garrett Oliver, and this was authored by Vinnie Salerzo. I think it documents the way that I've been using the term. Wild, to me, means in, in, inoculated either intentionally or by Mother Nature with Britannomyces, and sour would mean Funkified either intentionally or wild um, with souring uh, organisms that are not bred on a wild yeast. They are lactobacillus, um, pediococcus, and the like. So there's a big distinction these days, but just getting on the base of wild means bred inoculated is, I think, a good nomenclature for us all to be at. Both, both great things, but the fact that this brewery took the wherewithal to say, I'm going to just throw a long bomb, a Hail Mary, in three <laughs> years if I have beer worth selling or worth tasting good to go. Like, to me, they are, you know, I would reward them for that. But. Yeah, super, super amazing risk there, for sure. Okay, so you have all tasted. Hopefully, you maybe have a little bit left, even if you don't. Now, the, um, the contenders are going to get each one minute to have their summation arguments um, and still convince you that theirs is the best, the kick-ass that they want you to vote for, <laughs> even though they've now tasted each other. So go ahead, Jeff, and just give us your summation argument, please. Cool. Sounds good. Um, yeah, basically uh, what I was going for was just to kind of play, uh, like I said earlier, off the, uh, the bready biscuity notes. Uh, and after, after now that I've tasted a little bit more, um, I think the sulfur kind of plays off it nice too. 
That's got kind of a mild sulfur note. Um, uh, yeah, the, uh, I think the yeast also, it's, uh, it's a Bavarian strain. Um, so, and I kind of, you know, it kind of transported me. I'm like, wow, I could definitely have this beer in this rhubarb crisp and sit in a field and kind of just food out, get drunk, take a nap in the sun. Uh, so, Savor but, the flavor, Jeff. Is that happening Savor tomorrow? Savor the flavor, exactly. Calgon take me away type stuff, you know what I mean? Um, but so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I was going for, and um, yeah, vote number one. Yes, well said. Vote number one from his perspective. Thank you. So again, um, beer number two. Fruity esters, uh, luscious body, luscious texture. It's a rich enough beer to hold up to not only the honey, the cooked components, or the Maillard reactions. The brown sugar, the oats, the uh, which I think there's some oats in there with the um, pistachios as well. Maybe it's just pistachios, but I think there's oats in there as well. So the beer definitely you know pairs well with the brown sugar, the caramelization. It's got a you know a hint of a fruity note, which is complementary, and it's also not only does it hold up to the beer, but it's a, it's a, um, to the food. The uh, the beer's got a cleansing component with the beer foam, and then how it finishes on your palate. So I, I say vote number two. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's my turn. <laughs> so vote number three. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this honestly, I, I feel this is uh, the best one because uh, it has a nice little fruity note to go along with the, the sweetness of the brown sugar plus the, uh, the rhubarb. Um, I love trail mix. I don't know if anyone's a big trail mix guy, so... You like nuts and you like fruit. I like so nuts. there you go. You got it all here. Um, but hopefully you guys enjoy. <laughs> hopefully you guys enjoyed this uh, this this pairing with number three. And uh, as you know, vote number three. It's very delicious, and it's his birthday too. So, cheers. <laughs> Let's all take a minute to um, give a round of applause to Julie and everybody at the uh, Brewers Association for setting this up. I've got colleagues in the room that definitely help with this. I'll, I'll bring Andy out Paul, Andy Sparhawk, yes. my uh, fellow certified Cicerone that helped I'm sorry we this. had to FedEx you that emergency batch at the last minute. <laughs> but as I mentioned, drama. as I mentioned, this is a very special batch of beer. It's made in a cool ship. It, it doesn't come around that often. I was actually at this brewery when they tweeted out to all their followers that it was going to be available, and I watched as everybody rolled in, excited with their buddies or with their girlfriends, just so they could get a little bit more beer in their trunk and drive it home. So this, for me, is an exciting moment in American brewing. We've done some innovative things that have now filtered back to Europe, and now we're mastering the old-time European techniques as well, and I can't wait to see what my fellow, fellow panelists do with that, um, with that knowledge. So... Um, this beer for me really represents um, where American beer can go and where American beer has been. So I hope you agree that it complements this amazing dish from Adam yeah. in the back right there. Thank you very much. As much as people love the bacon-wrapped dates last year, this, like seriously, people have, we made this in a test batch, and Jimmy from Jimmy's 43 in New York, if you're ever there, check it out is fiending for this. 
So um, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, everybody at the Brewers Association. And uh, thank you to my fellow panelists. Right on. Okay, so we're going to give you guys a, um, a couple minutes after you vote to have discussion with the brewers about the brands that they chose that we will reveal to you. But what we need you to do right now is write on your voting sheet. You should have a pen. If you don't have a pen, maybe raise your hand. But please write on your sheet and then pass it to the end, the inside of the aisle, and we'll pick those up. Right on. So um, we could play Jeopardy music right now to amuse you all, but maybe not. You're thinking, you're thinking, you're writing, you're writing. Tough choices, I'm going to say. Yeah, we can hum it. Doo -doo -doo. Awesome. Anybody's game. Okay, has everybody come back to me, judges? Has everybody had a chance to pass? Anybody still need Andy one right here? And then two, no, but you, Andy, you have a chance. We'll, we'll talk while you're counting. We're okay. Okay, so Catherine Porter, everybody's voted, right? Catherine Porter, please uh, bring us the bottles. Where are the bottles? Oh, you're, she has the bottles. Okay, we don't normally drink craft beer out of brown paper bags. That's not part of savoring the flavor, right? So we have to explain that. So Catherine is now presenting a bottle of each of the beers to the contender so they can reveal the brands to you. And then while we're waiting for the votes to get counted, you guys can have some discourse with the brewers We'll do free-form questions, just raise your hand. Um, but I, what I want real quick is the 30, you know, 45-second brain dump of, like, this is why this brand was the no-brainer. Like, just the quick answer. Tell us, guys, why it made sense in the end of, like, this was the no-brainer for you. So please get rid of those ugly brown bags. But that's how we do it in D.C., brown paper bag. <laughs> I'm from New York, so this is how we roll. <laughs> How many drinking in public tickets have you gotten before? All right. <laughs> Two. I've got, I've, got, I've got three. So, Jeff, tell us what, uh, what you just pulled out of the bag. Uh, I pulled out one of our uh, uh, recent seasonals. Uh, we brewed it once last year. Uh, it's called El Jefe Speaks. Uh, we did it in collaboration with Sally's on U Street. Uh, John Sally is a former brewer uh, from Old Dominion, and he got uh, skipped over a couple times when uh, big beer events were happening around town. Uh, but so we did kind of a really traditional uh, German-style Hefeweizen. Beautiful. Uh, Use a von Steffen yeast, 50% uh, uh, malted white wheat, 50% uh, two-row. 
uh, fermented it a little lower, kind of at the 64 degree range to try and really push out those uh, clovey esters. Um, and having had the pairing, I thought it worked, worked really well. It kind of, you know, it flowed in from the beer and then go back to the honey, then back to the, the bread and then the oats, you know, kind of being a complimentary grain in that regard. Uh, so, yeah, we, I tasted it with a bunch of our guys and it was kind of a unanimous decision. So that's why we chose it. Right on. Fun to see the conversation. And in the beer geeks in the audience, we're all probably trying to guess the beer style. So congratulations to those of you that were able to nail that. Right on, Chuck. So I chose uh, Green Flash Belgian Tripel, old world spelling for a beer that uh, has a, an old tradition. Um, we've taken the triple style and we brewed an all malt triple. No sugar is added. So that has a, a richer character to it and I thought that would actually be something that holds up not only to the sourness but to the sugar and it's great with the nuts. Um, it's also a dry hop beer, so it's a, a little a little out of the box for a, an old world triple, but that's my new world spin on it, so I get to, I get to do it my way. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, when I was tasting it this time, uh, there was less rhubarb. Um, I thought that it actually went well because there was more sugar and component and more crisp component. Um, it does, it does lend well to holding up to a strong rhubarb flavor though, and so that was um, why I chose it. I, I, I didn't want to go, uh, I did actually want to taste more beers and, uh, that weren't mine. Um, I felt like I was a little under, under a little of a time crunch, so I just focused on my beers, and uh, I eliminated the hoppy beers, which I make many of, so <laughs> that cut it down, that cut down the field pretty quickly. <laughs> So uh, I had a couple barrel-aged beers that uh, would have just been challenging for me to, to get into, and so I left those alone. Yeah, Palo Record was not one of my first choices. <laughs> so, uh, so as I narrowed it down, uh, the field became something that uh, had a good malt backbone, little perceived sweetness and fruity esters, and the triple shined. Um, the only other choice I could have had, I didn't have... I would have preferred a fresher version of was our uh, our Grand Cru. We do a Grand Cru every winter. Last winter we didn't do one, so I didn't have one available that wasn't older. So the again the the triple became my first choice. All right, the beer that I chose was Aphrodite. It was a uh, a beer that we did. Let's see here. We started brewing it about April of last year. Um, it was going to be our Q2, Q3 beer. Uh, we wanted to have something fruity, a little tart, so we wanted to do like a raspberry tart beer. And uh, we wanted to add some pear to it to add a nice little dryness. Um, turned out really nice. Uh, this is only going to get better with age. Uh, the reason why I picked it, um, like I said, the, the tartness goes well with the rhubarb, plus you have the sugary note from the brown sugar. Um, and the pistachio and fruit kind of combination is very nice. And uh, hopefully you guys choose this one. And you'll never see this again. So enjoy it while it's around. <laughs> can, we, can we open that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, crack that bad boy, Julia says. Yeah. All right, 
No, some, yes, some spectacular beers here. Um, the beer that I'm referencing in particular, I, I came across um, somewhat by happenstance um, because I was supposed to be up in Acadia Boom. Uh, when the hurricane was happening, and I, I came down instead to, um, to Allagash. And uh, they have a cool ship series. The aforementioned um, cool ship they, they, they constructed was kind of a little bit of crossing your fingers as far as a brewery is concerned. But um, if you know Allagash, they, they definitely um, push the boundaries of what you can do with beer. And uh, this is um, a beer called Cool Ship Cerise. And they also have Resurgum. Um, and I think Rob is here. Somewhere, there's Rob, there's Rob. <laughs> Feel free to ask him about it. Um, <laughs> tough to get your hands on this kind of stuff right now, but uh, definitely wanted you guys to taste it um, because this is an interesting direction where things are heading right now in American brewing. So I hope you like the pairing. Excellent. So are you guys ready for the results? Yeah. Do you want to ask them any questions first? Yeah, let's do some questions. Go ahead, Dr. Bill. So, um, Scott, you both made the uh, reserve. Did you guys know about this brewing family that had the truck-like flavor that was going to be involved in the pairing? Not at all. No, uh, not at all. Classic example of Adam Schiff. A classic example of a chef saying, get up on it. <laughs> right? Slam! <laughs> Thank you. Brother Bill? It's my brother. brother. Sorry, you had a question? <laughs> what did you mean dry hopping? Oh, yes. The, uh, the dry hopping is when you add hops after post-fermentation, but still, in, you know, it's directly hopped in the beer with, uh, in, in our case, uh, pellet hops. Uh, some guys will use whole leaf hop. So we'll add it directly to the fermenter um, for its maturation period. So once it's completely fermented, we'll add hops directly to the fermenter. It'll impart some more fresh uh, floral, spicy characteristics depending on the hop you're using. And dry hopping normally, uh, if you expose uh, the essence of hops to heat, it will volatize those aromatics away. So what Chuck's describing is a common technique where hops are added after heat um, at any phase during the fermentation or finish or conditioning. So you get those, that punch of aromatics. And when you, you know, hold up that, that beer to your nose, you, you have something very enjoyable. I was enjoyable. actually kind of surprised how hoppy that was. <laughs> For Green Flash, you're surprised? For, uh, Palette record. That's funny to hear him say that. Any other comments, questions? Yes, ma'am. I think it's interesting to always hear other people's comments because we each perceive things differently. We're also going to have blind spots, I call it. When we taste, there's blind spots in our tasting where one person's not going to be um, 
uh, genetically able to taste certain characteristics. Others are going to have a perception developed in their mind, more tied to their palate, where they're able to discern what they're tasting in a more advanced manner. So I think that comment's very interesting, because not everybody in the room probably got that. Any, uh, anyone else? All right, the results, then our party. Um, can we have the Rocky music come back on like right when I announce? Just so it's so much fun and then the doors are open and it'll be great. <laughs> okay, um, and I want to say too, uh, before I announce this, uh, 9th or 10th taste off winner. We got accounts at the office. Yeah, well, we keep doing this somehow. It's a, it's a great, I think it's a great interactive way and you guys have served a purpose this evening at the Brewers Association offices um, behind our lobby bar. Yes, we do have a lobby bar that we're very proud of. Um, we have a big version of this mash paddle that uh, has plaques for every winner. And so the next name that will be added to that is Scott Veltman from Oma Gang Brewing Company. Congratulations, Scott. Thanks for listening to this Savor Salon. Craft Beer Radio is a mostly weekly beer podcast where we attempt to educate and entertain. If you haven't heard our podcast, we invite you to find us on iTunes or go to our website at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Please visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.